Today, we're talking to Rachel from Polad Companies about her new book that explores the nuance of the gender gap, high turnover rate, and lack of executive involvement found in IT teams. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Tell me about the book. I haven't gotten a copy of it, so I, I haven't gotten to read the book yet. That's because it does not actually come out until March 8th of 2023. Okay. But I have some people that I've shared it with early, so I've gotten some great feedback. And this is your first book? It is, yes. The first of at least two. I've got the other one already written up here in my head. What prompted you to want to write this book? Several things. I mean, just first of all, the easy answer. I love to write and, I and uh, you know, the power of words uh, and I also love storytelling. I think it's a very um, understated leadership skill. It's an incredibly important um, leadership skill. And so it's also a way for me to give back and share what I've learned with a broader audience. But really, it also comes down to the fact that there there have been a few trends that I've noticed or, over the course of my 25-year career in IT leadership that I've been trying to figure out, I've been trying to, to understand, and I've, I've started to come to some understanding of them and how they relate to each other, and um, also got some insight from some other really smart people, and I decided to put that all together um, into a book to kind of to tell the story and share what I've learned about those sort of disturbing trends in IT. Was there a big change between when you first started 25 years ago? Because back then, I would say the command and conquer style of leadership was really popular. I think there's like Six Sigma. Or there's like there's a bunch of different things that became popular fads, yeah. if you will, Six of Sigma leadership. Yellow belt high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a bunch of leadership, you know, ways of thinking sure. and, and that's slowly become less popular. Yeah. And so yeah, definitely. I'm curious to know of of the trends that you mentioned in the book are have any of them stopped or have they continued the entire 25 years? So some have improved, but not completely um, gone away. I'll just, I'll walk through what the yeah. what the three trends are. We'll start there, I guess. So the first one is one that gets talked about a lot. You've probably had many discussions on this and, and read and heard a lot about it, but it's the gender gap in IT. And that one has obviously been around since the beginning, but um, has improved significantly, I think. But there's still there's still a big gap. And I get the opportunity really often to either speak to or mentor or do job shadows with young women and girls who are interested in STEM careers. And I love doing that. It's really rewarding, a lot of fun. I learn from them. But at the same time, I'm, I'm, when I approach problem solving, I want to start by understanding the root cause. I don't want to just keep you know, attacking symptoms. And so I've struggled now for over two decades to understand what's really the root cause of that gender gap. There's lots of uh, explanations. I mean, we hear all the all the stories about you know, truly bad behavior in Silicon Valley. There's theories about systemic sexism in business and even in college classrooms. I mean, all the way back to you know the theories that it's because we give our little girls dolls instead of trucks to play with, but. Nothing really really helped me understand the root cause of the gender gap in IT until I ran across something recently that kind of helped shed some light on it. And so and so that's the first trend. Well, what what did you run across? What shed some well, light on? Well, uh, so it's um it's some research by um, a professor and researcher at Illinois State University that they really um, kind of shine some light on the neurological differences in IT people that kind of helped to explain some of the difference. But I want to come back to that. First, I want to talk about the other two trends and how they're, okay. how they're related. So the second trend is also something that I think is, is um, maybe not as widely known, not, not known to as many people, but certainly very apparent to those in IT leadership. And that is the high turnover rate that we have in IT. So you're probably aware of this. You know, we we have this this really high turnover all the way up and down. So at my level, at the CIO level, the average tenure of a CIO is 4.3 years. The rest of the C-suite is five to six years. What's going on there? But it's also, that's that's the case all the way up and down from entry-level positions on up. And it's also not just unique to Silicon Valley. It's in IT departments across any industry and any geography. And so I've been you know, struggling to understand what, what's going on there as well. Why do we have so much higher turnover than other hi highly skilled and in-demand roles? 
um, in other industries. And so I've been, you know, I've been struggling with that one, trying to understand the root cause there. And you, you've, you've probably seen that and, and seen oh, evidence of that. it's such a common conversation topic. The tech talent, the wars, yeah. the difficulties, you know, recruiting, yeah. it's, it's And do we prevalent. have any answers? Do we have a solution? Do we, do we know why? Do we understand it fully? Uh, I think the most common response or the most common way people rationalize it in their head is culture. Sure. That's sure. I'm not saying that that's the the correct answer. I'm curious what you've learned, yeah. but that's typically what people will say. They'll say, "Hey, you know, the most important thing to hiring and retaining is culture and then being clear about what your culture is, reinforcing it and actually living it out versus it just being bullet points, those types of things." And I think that's that's on the right track, but I, I also think that there's sort of a a deeper understanding that we need to have about the cultural needs and the the workplace needs of technology professionals. So that let's now get to the third trend that I've noticed. And this one I, I don't hear talked about quite as much. So I'm really curious to hear if you've had conversations about this or seen this yourself or, or hear about this from the CIOs and CTOs that you talk to. And it's this challenge, this struggle that we have as IT leaders to really be uh, included and, and valued as part of the executive team within the company, to really elevate the role of IT to the, to the appropriate level, to that strategic leadership level within an organization. We talk about it sometimes in terms of getting that proverbial seat at the table. And what I've seen is very often you'll have a company that has a C-suite. They have all the other C-level executives, the chief operations officer, the chief financial officer, the chief marketing officer. Sometimes they make up, you know, the chief experience officer and oh, the yeah. chief revenue officer. <laughs> They'll stick any word in there in the middle, right? But they don't have a CIO. They don't have a CTO. Um, they have an IT director who reports to the CFO, or maybe they only go so high as an IT manager, or maybe they have a VP of IT, but they don't have IT at that C-suite level, at that executive what, level. What industry are you in? Well, I'm, I'm at a holding company in several industri industries, okay. and I've worked in several industries. Now, I will say that it is getting more and more common. Now, I think we, we've, you asked about change. I think we've made progress and most companies realize and understand that they need, that they need to have IT represented at that level. But again, tell me if, tell me if you're, if you have seen this, because even as we see companies now that have the CIO, you know, and the representation at that level, it still seems that they're not included in the real executive leadership functions. Okay. So they're at the, the status meeting, they're at the the CEO's, you know, team meeting, and they're giving their status reports and they're hearing everybody else's, but they're not in the meetings where the real business of running the business is happening. And there are certainly great exceptions, companies that do it right, do it well, CEOs that understand and, and get it right. But so often I see that they're, they're there at that level sort of in name only, and they're still not included. They're still not participating in the real business of running the business. Do you see that? Do you do you hear about that? Can you define what the real conversations like can you give me some examples of what the real conversations are versus the faux conversations? Sure, sure. Yeah. So it's it's being part of things like, you know, the true strategic planning and the the you know the budget reviews and the uh, merger and acquisition discussions up front before the decisions are made. It's being part of, of that strategic planning and direction setting for the organization. So who is usually in those meetings? Yeah, so what I see often is that that uh, in, in the organizations where they just aren't quite there yet to the full level of understanding, it's the CFO who's representing technology and sort of taking the instructions back to the IT leader or, or it's, you know, maybe someone else. It might be um, operations or whoever has the most technology knowledge. You know, in the interviews, I don't know how deep you, I get with these people to understand that nuance. Yeah. So I, yeah. Just, I just see that even when, even when the technology leader has the title of CIO and they're in the CEO's executive leadership meeting, they're still not really participating in the strategic direction setting of the company. They're still operating more as that sort of that second line. And they're not, they don't get that that sense of inclusion. And, and I ask CIOs about this um, and, and I hear the stories and the examples and 
You know, I, I just talked to one a week ago, a very accomplished, capable CIO, and he's with a great company now, but he was telling me about the last company he was at where he was invited to the strategic planning meeting by his boss, the chief operating officer. And again, I think that's significant. And when he walked in the door, the CEO said, what's IT got to do with the strategic direction of the company? And you see it whenever you see IT reporting to the CFO or the COO or someone besides the CEO. Very often, I think it's because that CEO has delegated it down, um, maybe to someone who they think understands technology better or, or because they just don't see technology as being at that strategic level within the organization, even if they've got the title and even if they're invited to the, to the status update meeting. I fully believe that. And a couple things that would maybe shed some light on my experience. So I'm a, a founder CTO and I s- spend a lot of my time with CTOs and then some CIOs. Okay. And CTOs typically tend to be outward facing related to product. Sure. And that is always included in the business because everyone's building sure. products, right? Sure, yeah. So I don't spend a lot of time with CIOs. I would say the this handful of CIOs I have spent time with, that's how I learned that technology reports to CFO in any capacity, right? That was news to me. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, why? Because it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, why on earth would technology report it's to still more than half. It's still more than half report oh, to I'm someone sure. other than the CEO. Because I, yeah. I included that in my book and I had to look up the most recent statistics just to make sure. And and it's still a majority that report to somewhere else other than the CEO. And that is CIO specific or does it include CTOs? I think it's both, but I'd have to go check. Um, okay. But I, I know for sure it's CIOs. are They're so often stuck under the CFO. Yeah, I'm really interested in the different trends that you have found. And I'm also interested in your experience because you've had a, a, a different experience than I have. And so my job is to go out there Collect experiences, explore, ask yeah. questions, get curious. So if somebody came to me and they said something that sounded completely out of left field, I'd be like, let's talk about that. Well, I my experience has been over 25 years working specifically in IT leadership and management. I've had the opportunity to mentor a lot of technology leaders. And unsurprisingly, most of them have been men. And I have noticed this, I've observed this phenomenon of them being excluded or, or being included in name only at the executive level and not being a part of the strategic direction of the company and and not having that proverbial seat at the table. And it's obviously happening to them regardless of gender, race, age, even any of those things. And so I've tried to dig in and understand that and, and, and understand, again, the root cause and what's going on there. And I have, I have, you know, I, I had sort of formulated a couple of theories of my own, one being that, you know, it, it could be that the business leaders are intimidated by technology. And so therefore, by extension, they're intimidated by the technology leaders and the technology professionals. And I think that sometimes results in the CEO delegating the responsibility down to the CFO. I think that's a possible reason why that may happen. I think we have business leaders that, you know, I've known many business leaders who they kind of walk in the door or, or enter any conversation with me saying, I don't know anything about this technology stuff. I, I'm not really good with technology. I don't, I don't know anything about what you guys do. You know, and they're, they're being... I'm going to def- short their stock. Afterwards, you can text me their ticker number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly. There's within a certain category, within a certain industry, not, you know, not, again, not in the Silicon Valley, I'm sure. But those business leaders are unknowingly creating sort of a, a divide, a, a chasm, you know, a, a gap between them and their technology leader, then by extension, their technology team. And I've seen it even, you know, go even further where there's almost sort of a, a derogatory attitude. Either it's sort of that eye-rolling, oh, IT never gets anything done. They never, you know, never deliver what we need on time. Or it's more of a, I've even seen it as more of a personal thing. You know, oh, they're just, they're weird. They're quirky. <laughs> they're different, right? Um I've heard some some pretty uh, direct, insulting comments about the stereotypical IT people that they never get away with saying something like that about a woman or a person of color. 
right. they're saying it about a, you know, a geeky middle-aged white guy. And so it's okay. I don't think it's okay. Well, right now, the, the middle-aged white guys are not very popular. <laughs> well, like I said, that's who I've spent my whole career, yeah. for the most part, mentoring and working with. Maybe I have a soft, soft spot for them. Well, I want to. I do want to jump in there for a second. Sure, yeah. So I got to grow up with my father, who was software and hardware engineer, and watch him join a startup that ultimately went public and got to watch how he went from individual contributor to management and then you know moved on from the company as they exited. So I know my dad really well. And he, he is definitely lower on the social scale, right? Okay. Brilliant yeah. guy, incredibly smart. He wants to talk to you about rocket thrust in relation to you know, Lyft or you know, all this stuff. For he wants hours to talk- on end? Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. doesn't. So here's the research that I came across earlier this year. It's it's Dr. Ronnie Gia, researcher and professor at Illinois State University, which is my alma mater, and he has done research correlating the prevalence of autistic tendencies with an interest in information technology. Now, at first blush, that should be kind of a no-brainer. It's sort of the open secret in IT that. Probably half of us are somewhere on the autism spectrum, whether we know it or not. But also, it was it was really sort of enlightening to me, and it helped shine some light on these these trends and these phenomena that I've noticed over the course of my career. And I want to clarify what his research was correlating was merely the prevalence of autistic tendencies, not any kind of official diagnosis. And so we're not talking about you know the extreme cases of autism here. We're talking about the people who are probably on the border who might be diagnosed if they ever went to ask the question, but maybe not. They might fall under, but still have enough of those tendencies to make them different, right? Mm-hmm. And so what he's saying is that stereotype, it has it has neurological basis. It has scientific, you know, fact behind it. And the reality is that many of the people who are in IT departments today and in college classrooms who will make up the IT departments of the future— they have a higher prevalence of those autistic tendencies. Now, what are those autistic tendencies? You just you just mentioned one of them. Not being good at picking up on social cues. Not great with interpersonal communication. That's why they like to spend their time with computers because computers are black and white. Do what they're told, right? But also things like, you know, wanting to, to focus in and dig really deep into the details of something. Hyper-focus on it for a long time being very, you know, very meticulous about about uh, whatever topic it is that they're interested in. Those are the things that make us great conversationalists, right? And so here's another thing that Dr. Gia showed in his, in his research. If he removed the variable of the autistic tendencies, if he um, controlled for that, the gender difference in IT interest went away. Now, I don't know if you're aware, but right now, today, autism spectrum disorder, which is the official diagnosis is diagnosed in boys four times more than girls. So there's some neurological difference there. And there's some debate about whether girls are underdiagnosed. But regardless, the... the um, It's not going to lead to 4X, you know, just... Right. Yeah. And also the characteristics and the traits that represent, or the, those autistic tendencies, even if they're representing in that way, they're manifesting in boys more often, it, it's because girls have the masking and the coping skills, the ability to pick up on social media. They cues, do. They're, they're like more that. agreeable women in general. But thanks. <laughs> yeah. They are. And yeah. so and so what that tells us is that gender gap going all the way back, not at the end of the career or in academia, but at the very beginning, the interest in technology, it isn't driven by sexist policies in business or, you know, rampant sexism in college classrooms or some failure of the system. It's a neurological difference that, that actually creates that, that lack of interest or that lack of interest in women or, or greater interest um, in men and girls and boys. And so that takes a little of the pressure off of us, right? But also, I think it helps to explain the fallout because we also, and I don't have all the statistics memorized, but we have um, so much higher fallout of women through all along the, the path, all along a career path, fallout in high school coding clubs, fallout in, in academic, you know, in the college classrooms, fallout early in the career, later in the career, all throughout women leave IT professions at a much higher rate than men. 
well, let's think about why that might be in relation to this to this research, to this realization. If you've got a group of people that's probably already predominantly more men because of the neurological difference, and the people in that classroom or in that department don't pick up on social cues, dig in deep, hyper-focus on a subject, just aren't great at interpersonal communication, aren't great at creating that inclusive environment. Well, if I'm a woman who wants that and craves that and needs that, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with the philosophy majors because they're cool and they're nice to me and they can have a conversation, right? So I think that this, this research clarifies and helps explain the fallout that happens as well as the initial interest. So it kind of really helps understand that trend and that phenomenon. To your point of the autistic tendencies, can they be acquired and learned and unlearned or are they permanent from the beginning? So that's something that gets a little bit more, I think, into kind of the the medical and, and um, psychological and, you know, neurological profession. I haven't done a lot of study there, but I know, so I have people in my family diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder that um, have really benefited from programs to help them learn the coping skills. Now, the challenge is it's it's learning how to do something sort of by pattern recognition and and learning it more as a technical skill, if you will, than having it be an innate thing that neurotypical people just kind of pick up on and develop naturally. Um, and that can also create a lot of anxiety. So people with um, autism spectrum disorder or just, you know, with those autistic tendencies would have higher levels of anxiety and, and, and depression. They do. Um, and part of it, I think, is that constantly needing to cope. And I also want to clarify, I don't think we have to just keep this limited to talk about autism spectrum disorder. I think it probably also applies to things like attention deficit hyperactivity, ADHD, right? Um, any of these kind of things that really change the the neurological behavior so that you're you're very detail-oriented, you're hyper-focused on things, the details of things you're passionate about, and you're and you struggle to pick up on those social cues. Those are the things that it that coincide with the stereotypical IT person. In your book or throughout the process of researching your book, did you come across any studies that talk about how in general, like on a global level across cultures, men tend to be more interested in things and women tend to be more interested in people. Did you come across any of that? I, I didn't specifically in preparation for the book, but I've certainly read about that and, and, and heard about that. And I, I think it's very true. Maybe not, um, you know, maybe not universally. I think everybody can probably call to mind someone who is an exception both ways, right? Oh, but, they, they, they just said more likely, which means fifty one percent. Because these stereotypes are are rooted in you know in some truth, and, and especially this one, yeah. Stereotypes are ways that we navigate the world, right? I mean, and so let's let's talk about how this applies to the other trends. So if we've got these stereotypical IT people, a little different, you know, not not great at the interpersonal communication naturally. Um, there are certainly exceptions, people who who kind of learn. Or, or just, you know, they, they got into IT, even though that's not their background, right? So they tend to rise to the top. But think about now how that relates to the interrelation between the technology leadership and the technology team and the rest of the business. If we assume that the rest of the business statistically is more likely to have not have as many of those autistic tendencies, maybe a little, be a little bit closer on the neurotypical side of the scale, and they're struggling to relate to these IT people because they're all different, they're all quirky. They have these little cartoon character figurines on their desks, and they wear T-shirts with with characters I've never heard of from movies I've never seen, and they <laughs> geek out about, you know, right? Like, they're struggling to understand and relate to their technology team. And so I think that contributes to the fact that they don't get included. They don't get involved. The business tends to wait. Again, this is in, in some of the, the worst-case examples wait until the last minute to tell them what we need them to do because it's difficult to talk to them. Because I want to go to them with this great visionary idea and they're going to drag me down with all the details of why it can't but happen. But they will. <laughs> it won't work. <laughs> they right? will. But they will. We they know will. they do. I know. I was that person until I figured out it doesn't get you far. And then you had to develop other types of skills, case in point, why I started this podcast. Right. And, and everything changed as I yep. refined those skills. I had to 
fairly good start because my mom was a cheerleader. My dad was an engineer. Okay. So I had a genetic propensity <laughs> yeah. to get really excited about technology. <laughs> yeah. I'm married to a CIO. Just there so you, you know. go. <laughs> there was no chance. So, so we have these business leaders who maybe they're intimidated by technology. Maybe they just don't want to talk to the IT people because they're weird and they're quirky. So we have this chasm. We have this gap, right? We have this inability to relate and connect to each other, inability to communicate effectively. At least it's impaired, right? Even if we figured out some coping mechanisms, it's not as good. The relationship just isn't as good there as it is with the marketing team because those guys are fun, right? Oh, yeah. So now think about how that impacts the high turnover that we experience in IT. I believe, and that's, you know, that's really the theory here, is that that high turnover rate is really affected and driven by that inability to relate to each other, to connect to each other. It's driven by that feeling of separateness, of being different, of being, I've even in in the book, I use the term being marginalized, being kept out of the executive boardroom or brought in only as a, you know, uh, in name only. And, And I think that's what contributes to that turnover rate because we want that same sense of connection. We just don't get it in the same way. And I say we as though I'm, you know, one of these. Quirky, You're the representative of all CIOs. Right, I'm representing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. and so so that's the phenomenon I think is happening. And so the intention behind the book is to speak to both business leaders and technology leaders to shine some light on this, to say, look, here's what's happening, to help the business leaders better understand this very different group of people that they have working for them that are incredibly important to their business, to help them think differently about the role of technology and the role and personality and needs of the technologist, and then give both sides some tools and some advice and actionable strategies to better work together to achieve that elusive IT business alignment. Because uh, let me ask it, do you have, like I do, do you have a shelf full of books written to IT people trying to teach them how to better work and communicate with technology people? Yeah, it's it's a large part of of the the library that I have on Audible and it's there's the manager's path that's a popular one there's uh, a couple related that are like fictional that explore the interpersonal office tendencies and, and but things like so that. So many are they're all being written to the technology leaders and sometimes it feels like you know, we, we, these books keep being written because they're still needed. Because I don't think it's, it's going to change. It's still an issue. I don't think it's going to change as long as we keep telling the IT people, here's what you need to do. Because basically all these books are telling them, here's how to be less autistic. Yeah. Here's how to be more neurotypical. Here's how to talk to neurotypical people. I believe the business leaders need to have a better understanding and awareness. And then we need them to help out here. We need them to meet us halfway. Need them to step up and, and understand what's going on and help solve the problem if we're really going to achieve that elusive IT business alignment that we're looking for. I agree. I'm going to present an argument here. Okay. Uh, or question slash argument. Sure. So I have learned when I first started the show, I was still writing software and I learned really quickly that I couldn't write software on the same days that I would interview people because I would be more socially awkward. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Because your mind, when it's down in problem solving, phase is is vastly different than how your mind's sure. operating when you're in lofty idea phase. Absolutely. And so I couldn't, I had to separate those days that only write code on days I wasn't doing interviews. Yeah, It's yeah. a mindset. It's a, a, a benefit. It's required for them to be really, really great at their job. So when I think about it, I'm thinking, well, it's always going to be harder to talk to the problem solving people because they're always deep down in the details. And yeah. because in general, if you want, if I... If I took a, a cheerleader and I wanted to make her socially awkward, what I'd do is I'd cause her to spend um, more time in isolation. Uh-huh. That's how you would do it, right? Yeah. You'd put them in isolation more and they'd start to lose their social skills by necessity of not being around other people. You, you don't pick sure. up on the skills if you're not around them as much. Sure. Um, and so then you have this whole you know, cycle of people who are interested in, in things and then it's being difficult to talk with the other sides of the business. And so I don't think that will change what I do think will happen because of your book and and people pushing this forward and making it known is it'll make it a larger part of the conversation so that regardless of how it ends up getting addressed, it gets addressed versus it just going on 
not yeah. getting addressed. Yeah. Because one of the big things that I that I push for that I talk about in the book and that I talk about actually, I, you know, I get to do whether it's panel discussions or speaking events. One of the things I'm I'm really pushing for is an increased awareness about neurodiversity and especially incorporating neurodiversity into you know almost every company now has a DEI initiative, right? Neurodiversity needs to be a part of that because I, I love your example and and how you are able to switch back and forth, right? You can. You can, and you can very intentionally plan your day knowing what you need to do so that you can put yourself in that right mindset. Now, there are people who would really struggle with that. And then there are people also that we want them, you know, we want the the security analysts and the systems analysts. And there, there are people that we want them to be, you know, to be focused on that very detail-oriented work. That's the bulk of their job. And so telling them they have to sit in this nice open floor plan and, and uh, you know, be part of all of the the company events and the social things that are going on and be accessible all day long, that's not only is that um, not productive for them, it's counterintuitive to what we want to achieve, you know, from their role, but it's also very difficult, very anxiety-inducing. Um, I talk a little bit in the book about the, the you know, the management um, concept of, um, it's, it's recommended in, you know, leadership books of management by walking around, MBWA, right? And so you've got these CEOs who feel like they're only doing their job if they get up out of their chair and out of their office and they walk around and talk to the people every day, right? Well, that's all well and good for a certain group of people, but they're creating panic attacks for their sysadmins and for, you know, a handful of, the, the, you know, their hardcore heads down developers. And so, you know, just I, what I'm recommending is some different strategies for how to still accomplish what they're trying to to do there, but not having it be a surprise. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Which, which just you know, sends ripples of panic through certain types of people. And and I talk a little bit too about um, you know the the great progress we've made in moving to this to this sort of agile model um, of development and the importance. You know how agile is so focused on people. It, it shifted the focus from process and quality to people and results, but it has to be you know, handled and managed in a way that actually works for all of the people. Yeah. What else is in the book? You just Is it just the three trends and building awareness of the communication between IT and the people making the decisions? Yeah. Well, so what I've done, I mean, the, the three trends are, that's really only talked about in the introduction is the explanation of why. Um, I do dig in in one of the chapters and go into a lot of detail on Dr. Gia's research and then send sort of the recommendations that come out of that. But the, the first section is all about people, and I, and I look at it from four perspectives. Yourself, your relationship with your, your boss, your immediate you know, manager, supervisor, and then conversely, the, the leader, you know, the, the person IT reports to their relationship with the IT leader. Then managing the IT department, and then looking outwards, sort of managing sideways um, your peers. And so within each of those, I alternate guidance for the business leader, guidance for the IT leader. And, you know, I, I say this at the beginning of almost every, ch every chapter, I say, I'm not going to write a full, you know, I've already got plenty of books on managing up or managing down or doing this thing or doing that thing. I'm just going to give you the things that are really specific to technology leadership and to this specific problem and the things that I've experienced and have found work really well. So there's a section when it comes to the relationship between the IT leader and their boss. I talk about things like how to make sure that, uh, for the IT leader, how to make sure that you're always um, preventing surprises and managing expectations. Um, how to know the audience and understand what type of communication that that leader wants and needs. Then for the business leader, you know, I said, hey, I'm going to let you guys in on some of the, the secrets of the things that drive us crazy as IT leaders. Um, so I tell the story of being, in, uh, being invited to a business strategic review meeting at the end of the year where we're going to, you know, review everything we did for the last year and then lay out our plans for the coming year. And it's a big deal and everybody's plan working and planning it for weeks and um, you know, we're all going to go off site to a hotel for a couple days and we're going to work through this. You know, everybody's going to have their opportunity to present. It's going to be great, right? Have you been part of something like that? Almost everybody's, yeah. Yeah, I've been part, to, part of one of those off site meetings. Well, you spend weeks preparing for this, you know, you're, you're asked to do a 30 minute presentation, right? Or 
maybe less, maybe it's 20, because sales is going to take 45. And the agenda, nine times out of 10, IT is dead last on the agenda. And then what happens? Everybody else on the agenda takes a little bit longer than they were scheduled. And there's some impromptu discussions that come up. And when they finally get around to IT, when it's my turn to speak, well, we're already, you know, two hours past the original timeline. In fact, the meeting was supposed to have ended 30 minutes ago. Half the people left because they have planes to catch. And I've just been asked to condense my 30 minutes down to five minutes for the remaining handful of people that have already checked out. Yeah. That drives us crazy. That does not convey and communicate that IT is a strategic driver within the business. So some of it is just telling business leaders, hey, stop doing these things, you know? I also talk about... Um, well, well, let's talk about if they, if they don't. Oh, sure. Let's say that they continue this path. I believe if you extend that path to infinity about not putting IT or technology as a priority, that you simply will go out of business. Maybe, maybe not. Um, or you may just continue to have high turnover. You may just keep turning over that IT leader and everybody under them much more frequently than you do any of the other roles in your company. And you may still get by. You may still get things done because we're pretty resilient. We've kind of come to expect that this is what's going to happen. But you're not going to make those great gains and improvements that you want, that you need. So I'm not saying that every company is, you know, screwing it up so bad that they're all going to go out of this. I think ultimately, like if you, if I believe that they will at some point realize that technology is impacting their business and they need to, to figure it out. Actually, you've seen it a lot. I've seen it a lot with regional banks, right? I, I follow that industry a little bit. I did some sure. financial software for a while, so I follow that a little bit. They were super resistant to technology, um, the regional bank systems. And then enough technology companies innovated and made platforms that were easy to, to do. And then their customers started asking for them to the point where they had to start paying for them and doing this. Um, and so you'll see industry by industry, them all sure. sort of lagging. But I believe that the great people will, will go to the industries that recognize. Well, can we talk about the airline industry? Yeah, can we talk, talk the about the airline industry. Can we talk about, you know, Delta, who has some of the coolest technology tools and, and the the capabilities that, you know, what I can do right here from my phone. Every one of them has issues, but I'm pretty high on Delta. And then conversely, I would love to talk to the CIO of Southwest right now and understand, <laughs> was this your call or did someone tell you, don't worry, we don't need that yet. We'll worry about that once, you know, once we're bigger, once we've got more revenue. I would you're love like to the, find out. You're the third person who said something about Southwest to me in the past 24 hours. Can you explain what's happening? Because I, I don't know. Oh, oh my gosh. They had to, so they had to cancel 13,000 flights over the course of a couple of days because, you know, they were already just struggling like everyone else with the effects of the pandemic and everything with scheduling and getting people to the right places and being understaffed. And then when the snowstorms hit right before Christmas, the software that they were using, something I think is called Sky Solver, was just completely incapable of handling the capacity demand of these changes. And they acknowledged, even in the, some of the first reports that are coming out, they've acknowledged that, that the technology was not capable and was not up to the, to the challenge that was presented um, because it should have been upgraded years ago. And um, I mean, I guess it was doing crazy things like deadheading a crew from Denver to Baltimore and then back without them ever actually having flown or, you know, worked a flight. Um, it was just coming up with nonsense solutions, and and they ended up having to cancel thirteen thousand flights. I, your producer Josh is stuck in South Carolina because he was supposed to fly home on a Southwest flight. Yeah, he was one of the. Th so it was him, you, and then my wife was bringing it up, and I just kind of was like, "All right, Southwest," because you hear a lot about plane stuff over the holidays, and I try what I do with my news consumption is I one day a week, typically on a Saturday or sure. Sunday, I'll go and look at it. And that way I'm not getting all sad every day yeah, about all the bad things. I know, bad things. I know. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, even, I don't even look at politics one day a week. I yeah. can't even do that. But technology and the, uh, affecting the airline industry, I'm all over that. I, I, oh, gosh, and I just sat there. I want to talk to their CIO. I want to understand who said... Can I make a guess? We're, we're not upgrading this year. I'll make a guess, just out okay. of thin air. And then yep. we'll call them up and we'll ask them. If they, okay. Unless if they give us a no comment. <laughs> but... I think it's something along the lines of the system was built and then the person who built the system is no longer there. And mm -hmm. then the person that succeeded that person said, hey, it's working, let's not touch it. 
because we don't want to break things. Yeah. And then yeah. that just happened for a really long time. And it was working and it was working and it was working. And then it wasn't. And that's yep. what happened last week. Until weekend. it didn't. Yep. And, and you know, maybe they were also dealing with high turnover. And That's what I'm you thinking. Don't, you yeah. don't upgrade systems when you're in the middle of a changeover of, of important high-level resources. So if we could bring that turnover rate down, we could do a better job of keeping up on our tech debt. We could keep them, you know, if we could get the IT leaders more involved in the strategic planning of the business, more involved and aware with what the growth plans are and the capacity demands that that's going to generate, we could stay up on things a little better. Yeah. Do you speak at CIO conferences about this topic? I do. Yeah. I'm uh, looking for more opportunities to do so because I want to, I want to spread the word and get this you know, talked about a little more often. What's the response when you get off stage and people start talking with you? Well, so we we brought up uh, Brad at the beginning here, Brad Sousa from ABI, and I got the opportunity to um, present the keynote address at their national sales meeting earlier this year. And I got to tell you, Joel, it was the most fun I've had in decades. I walked off that stage. I could tell people were engaged and, and interested and like really just fascinated by what by what I was talking about. And I felt like almost every person in that room came up to me to share their personal insights and reflections. And, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. And, and that happens all the time. Um, so I love talking about this topic. I love hearing other people's stories. I love validating the things I'm saying, you know? Have you had this experience? And oh, the people who are like, oh, every weekly meeting i'm last on the agenda and i they never get to me every monthly update meeting i don't even bother preparing anymore because i know i'm not going to get a chance to talk just go flip off some switches in the server room and you'll be number yeah, one right? on that then I care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're doing some uh, reliability engineering <laughs> yeah 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 the other thing i was going to mention that i talk about is um, triangulation and inappropriate escalations I think, you know, all companies deal with triangulation in pockets, you know, various places. But I think inappropriate escalations are really prevalent, um, are really uh, a challenge for IT departments. Um, You know, when someone takes their help desk issue all the way up the chain, that's so demoralizing. When you do walk into the executive meeting and someone wants to grill you on why Susie can't print PDFs from her laptop. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm raising my hand. I'm that, I'm that guy. You're that because, guy? Because I get to meet all these people and then I go use their products in the real world. It was this. <laughs> and then I message them and I'm like, yeah. take a screenshot. I'm like, what's going on with this? And uh, like, I don't do it with problems as much because uh, it, it wasn't good. <laughs> no, no. And come on. We're, if we're going to be a strategic business leader and a part of the executive team, don't invite us to the meeting just so that we can make sure that the Zoom call works and that the AV technology is set up properly. Right. But Let us is be it set up properly? <laughs> <laughs> is it working though? Just want to double check. Let's not talk about how this whole thing kicked off and how I was a little bit late to the meeting. <laughs> never, never. I do want to bring something up. Okay, so okay. a large part of this conversation has been about the seat at the table type decision makers communicating with the engineering IT teams or part of the organization. Yep. And you you hinted at it a little bit earlier, but I think it's on the responsibility lies with both parties. Yes. So the engineers or the IT I keep calling it engineers in my head, but the IT organization, they have the responsibility of learning these skills because these skills will allow them to work better with their other teammates Absolutely. and vice versa to the executive teams right back at you. So do you have any mm-hmm. favorite communication resources for, for IT people? I know you said you had a lot of, a lot of books, but do any come to mind? Oh, uh, other resources? Oh, I was going to say, um, I was going to talk, talk more about a tool. Yeah, my book, okay. please. <laughs> <laughs> Go buy your Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a shelf full of them. I, I thought you were going to ask about a specific tool. And I would say my favorite suggestion, uh, the thing I want to teach every IT leader that I get the opportunity to work with is the power of the executive summary. If you can learn how to master executive summaries, your business leaders will appreciate that so much. And here's the, here's the great secret. You know what a master or what a um, executive summary is. You, you just put 
two or three sentences at the very beginning. And I always tell them, label it executive summary, because that's telling them, if you're only going to read two sentences of my email, just read these two, and you don't have to read all the rest. And then for all the detail, put it down below and even, you know, put some headings over it. You know, this is the cost detail. This is the timeline detail. This is the background detail on why we need to do this. This is the resourcing detail, you know. Put all that lovely detail that we enjoy so much that we we feel like that's our strength, that's our superpower. We, you know, we've got the details, right? Put it all in there, but give them an executive summary that boils the whole thing down to two, maybe three sentences. Business leaders will love that. And here's the little secret. Nine times out of 10, they'll read the whole thing. If but if you didn't yeah. put if you didn't put it in the executive summary format, they would go, oh. I'm not reading this. It's too much. These IT people, they just, they always get bogged down in the details. I just, I don't tell me what, I, I just want to know what time it is. I don't want to know how to build the clock, right? But if you put it in that executive summary format, you've given them exactly what they're asking for at the beginning. And then when they read that and they go, oh, but, well, but how much is it going to cost? Oh, look, I can read this paragraph if I want to know that. Well, are we going to use our resources or are we going to hire this out? Oh, that's down here in the resourcing paragraph. I can go get all that information. So mastering executive summaries, number one piece of advice for better communicating with your business leaders and your executives. Yeah, to your point earlier, related to know your audience, right? That's exactly what they're looking for. The high-level people want to communicate in high-level and the low-level people want to communicate in low-level. And when the high-level people are presented with low-level people, what they're trying to do is look at the low-level stuff to extract what the high-level stuff is. They don't care about the, uh, often, at, at first, they don't care right. about the details. They're just having, they look at that as, I have to read all of that to get the little high-level thing I'm trying to get. Yes. And then the detail people, when they're communicating with them, they're given an idea and instantly they're, uh, they're trying to figure out the problems with it. And so what comes back out of them is all the reasons why it can't happen and all the problems that are going to happen. And what yeah. they want is they want another person that has a contributing high-level idea. They don't want detail on their high-level idea. So I think knowing all of these parties and these communication styles yeah. can, can really help people. And that executive summary lets you get the best of both worlds. And it does force the technology person, the, the detail-oriented person, to take all of that detail and create that, that summary. Yes. And oftentimes I say, make sure that it is your recommendation. Don't just don't just give them all the details and expect them, expect your business leaders to discern from that what decision they should make. Especially if as you're a higher level technology leader, they're putting you in this role because they're expecting you to, to do that for them, to discern and, and weed through all of that detail and say, here's my recommendation. Now, all that backup detail is your justification of why, but you need to have that recommendation at the top line and, and be clear and firm in it. Now, do they have the right to make another decision? Sure, absolutely. But you've told them what you recommend and here's why. So the book comes out in March. March 8th. Where can I pre-register to buy it? Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I'll, I'll put a plug in for Barnes & Noble because if I get more orders there, it's more likely that they'll carry it in stores. So oh, nice. Barnesandnoble.com. Nice. So if I pull it up on Amazon, there's a pre-order button? Yeah. yeah. And what's the title? The title is, the, we didn't even get to that in the beginning. <laughs> the book is called The Technology Doesn't Matter, Prioritizing the People in IT Business Alignment. Because the whole point is talking about, we have to solve the people piece. It's not about the process. It's not about the technology. It's about the people. The reason why I like the summary that I've read about your book and the notes through Josh and everything is because, to me, it's... It's unique. It's a new conversation. It's a spin of several different conversations with a new perspective on top of it all. Sure. And what I enjoy about it is the way in which you present these arguments is a very simple, easy way that doesn't pull up your defense systems. Okay. And when you can present a, a hard to talk about or a difficult argument without raising everyone's defense systems, you can get them to talk about it. That's how you win. So yeah. I think the book will do well. Well, I appreciate that. I, and I hope so. When I first started, I thought to myself, I had to accept the fact that I probably wasn't going to be writing, you know, this great, you know, New York Times bestseller with something new and amazing the world has never heard before. That I was probably just going to be 
regurgitating the concepts and lessons that we all know, but I'll tell them with my stories and I'll, and I'll tell it in a little different way that'll resonate to different people. And then as I got, as I got into it, I realized there might be a few nuggets in there that aren't talked about much um, that might be a little new and different, especially bringing to light Dr. Gia's research and, and presenting that in the context of my experience in technology leadership. And, and the other thing to, to your point, uh, hopefully about, you know, not causing people to, to be defensive is I tried to keep it kind of lighthearted. There's some fun in there, um, you know, keeping it a little, a little witty and, and tossing in some jokes. So uh, I, I hope it'll be received well. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to getting to March 8th and having it out there and then hearing broader reactions, what people think. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes for people. And then if they want to find it on Amazon, can you say the title one more time? The technology doesn't matter. Prioritizing the people in IT business alignment. That was one of the first big pieces of advice that I ever got hosting this show. I think it was episode 20 or 30 or 50. I got a, a big interview. I was so excited. It was Cody from the CIO of T-Mobile. Oh, okay. And I asked him for the most important piece of advice because he had been at T-Mobile for like 20 or 30 years. And he said, it's all about the people. And yep. then I have this like two minute clip of him explaining it's all about the people. And the reason why I like that so much is that was the first time I had heard it. And it has consistently proven itself to be true every step of the way the past five years of me building this business. Yeah. And so it just keeps ringing in my head all the time. So right when I saw the title of your book, I was like, oh yeah, this is based on a sound principle. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Or another thing that uh, some of my peers often say is uh, technology is easy. People are hard. Yes. They don't have log yeah. outputs, so. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, time and time again, we know that uh, you can have technology projects that fail miserably, even though they're, they're implementations of the absolute best technology tool, right? The, you know, the, the top right corner of the Gartner magic quadrant for whatever it is. They're the best technology tool out there, but it fails miserably. And when you look at the reasons... It's always the people in the process stuff that causes that causes those projects to fail. This is great. We made a podcast. How do you Yay! feel? <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.